0: I'm not afraid. Are you? The Watchman Speaks discusses biblical solutions to modern day dilemmas. I'll tell you the truth, even if it's not what you wanna hear. I am the old watchman, Ezekiel. I pray you listen. Welcome to The Watchman Speaks. I'm your host, Lonnie Richardson. This week I'm going to discuss the fourth watch, which is the final night watch. The time of this watch is from 3 a.m. until 6 a.m. It is perhaps one of my favorite watches in which to pray. Why? Because there's so much going on. The forces of evil The satanic activity, which has ramped up during the third watch from midnight until three o'clock, is at its highest level. The fight in the spiritual realm is real, and in the beginning of the fourth watch, war is waged with desperation. Why is that? Well, the emissaries of the enemy are attempting to gather all that they can for the final push of the battle for the day. This may surprise many of you, but the factions are fighting to acquire all the ground that they can before dawn breaks. You see, the dawning of the light of day brings new hope. It is the day spring of the Lord. The enemy fights to accomplish all that it can before it scurries away into the darkness to avoid being caught in the light of day. There are witches who have converted to Christianity who when interviewed shared that they would leave their body in a spiritual sense and would hasten back before the day spring, or otherwise they could not return. Now I tend to believe them to a degree. But Isaiah 58 verse 8 reads, Then your light will break out like the dawn, and your recovery will speedily spring forth. Your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. And for the sake of argument, I like to refer to Job 38, verses 12 through 13. Have you ever in your life commanded the morning and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the ends of the earth, and the wicked be shaken out of it? The dawn takes hold of the ends of the earth, and the wicked are shaken out of it. I like that. My righteousness shall go before me, and the glory of the Lord will be my rear guard. I like that. However, such was not the case on October the 7th when Hamas attacked Israel and viciously murdered over 1,400 people who were preparing to celebrate one of their holy days. On that day, evil was unleashed into the world. The same can be said for the 911 or 9/11 attack on the United States in New York City, Washington D.C. The question arises: Is God attempting to get Israel's attention, or America's attention? Is God trying to get Hamas' attention? The truth is, I can't say one way or other. But I have to wonder if Isaiah chapter 8 verses 19 through 22 has come into play. And that reads, when they say to you, consult the mediums and the spiritists who whisper and mutter. Should not a people consult their God? Should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land hard pressed and famished and it will turn out that when they are hungry they will be enraged and curse their king and their God as they face upward. Then they will look to the earth and behold distress and darkness the gloom of anguish and they will be driven away into darkness. Should a person or a nation consult the dead on behalf of the living? Let me think about that for a hot minute. Some may say that we as Christians consult the dead being that Jesus was crucified. However, I would point out that the bones of Jesus have never been found. Why? Because Jesus is not dead. He lives. He overcame death, hell, and the grave so that we can someday do likewise. The bones and other religious founders are still in their resting place. Their bones are in known locations, or the locations would be known for certain should a search for them be allowed by the followers of those religions. So, should the dead be consulted on behalf of the living? No, of course not. Of course, there are factions in the cult of America and worldwide that believe in consulting the dead. Saul found this out the hard way, when he disguised himself and approached a witch to consult with Samuel. But might there be another faction that this verse 19 could be speaking of? Indeed, Hamas comes to mind. But as well they could be speaking of men or women holding public office or a political party. People these days are putting their hope and faith in a person holding an office or a particular political party. That's dead faith. That is disobedience. The Bible calls disobedience witchcraft. Why do people choose to think that an elected official or political party can step in and save the day? That is not to say that an elected official or party could make better decisions in these United States of America to improve the economy and restore some measure of peace. I've not seen anything that would boost my confidence in any of the current candidates or either political party. But no one seems to be listening. No people elect officials who support their particular agenda or give them what they want. The problem lies in the fact that the individual's personal agenda or the agenda of a group may not be what is best for the country. Put your trust in an elected official or political party is basically the same as consulting the dead. America and those in leadership and power would do well to consult God in His Word. They should look to the laws of God and the testimony of God's Word. Law. Didn't Jesus nullify the law? Uh, no. Jesus died to fulfill the law for the sake of righteousness. He died and fulfilled the law for the sake of ceremony. Jesus died and fulfilled the law for the sake of judgment. That's why we don't stone people anymore. There are moral laws that every believer would do well to take note of and practice as a matter of obedience. The writer of Hebrews said, If you go on sinning willfully... After receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. And does that mean you can lose your salvation? No. It means that it is doubtful whether you were saved in the first place. But what about the testimony in verse 20? That would be testimony of the forefathers. Who are the forefathers? That is the testimony provided by the Old Testament. The Old Testament was once known, and still is, as testimony of the forefathers. Testament is a root for testimony. If a nation does not speak according to the word, they have no dawn. They are in darkness. They will be in distress and driven deeper into darkness. If you don't believe that, then stop and take a look around and tell me what you see but there is a promise coming. Remember Isaiah chapter 17, verse 14? At the evening time, behold, there is terror. Before morning, they are no more. Such will be the portion of those who plunder us and the lot of those who pillage us. Now sometimes the dawn is a long time coming. The sun will rise on Israel and Hamas will be no more. But will it be a bloody sunrise? I'd say it's probable. But sometimes the dark and the dawn may be extended periods of time. It would seem to me that darkness has engulfed these United States of America long enough. It is time to bring about the dayspring of the Lord. It is time for the dawn to awaken not only Americans, but the church as well. There, i say it. I'm not taking it back. I'll leave that lay. That's why this fourth watch it is so important to pray. It's difficult to think of night and day in these extended terms, I know. But the old saying, what goes round comes around, has a lot of truth in it. However, when I think of the words of the psalmist in Psalm 18, verse 28, I can see the dawn approaching, although it may be some ways off. As it is obvious, the darkness can last for some time well into the daylight. As is evidenced by the Hamas attack on Israel and the 9-11 attacks on America. But the light will come if you're looking for it. Just don't get lost in the darkness so that you cannot see the light approaching. Psalm 18 verse 28. For you light my lamp, the Lord my God illuminates my darkness. Now there's an ancient path for you right there. If you can get a hold of the fact that God illumines the darkness about you, you can rest that there is hope and the dawn is but a prayer away. And I also find a lot of comfort in Mark 1 verse 35. And that reads, In the early morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. I know my Lord and Savior got up at the fourth watch to pray, and that gives me hope. That is why I prefer the second, third, and fourth watches. These are times that Jesus got up to pray. Did Jesus merely have a prayer life? No. His prayer life was founded upon a close relationship with the Father. I have experienced great peace and satisfaction when I've prayed during these times. And some of you are going to say, Lonnie, I'm not getting up at 3 o'clock in the morning to pray. I never suggested that you had to or that you should. I merely convey the urgency in my spirit and the peace that I have experienced when I have done so. But this watch is one when catastrophe can be avoided. To be more precise, it is a time when the righteous can avoid being swept away with the wicked. Genesis 19 all the way back to Genesis 19, verse 15. When morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and two daughters who are here, or you'll be swept away in the punishment of the city. It was a time when judgment was avoided by the righteous and cast upon the wicked. An instance that reminds me of this picture occurred for me during the pandemic when it was mandated that every health care worker take a COVID vaccine. I refused to take the vaccine, even though my superiors urged me to do so. I said no. I conveyed to them that I believed that a change was needed and that I was taking a stand. I explained that I understood that when you take a stand for something that you believe in, there was going to be some heat involved. However, I was adamant that if change was to occur, then somebody would have to take a stand. And one person said that he was afraid there weren't enough good Christian folks that would take a stand to make the changes needed. Well, I agreed with him to some extent, and that surprised him. I told him I agreed that there weren't enough Christians that would take the stand. I did not agree, however, that there were not enough Christians to do so. If one man, and that man being Abraham, can negotiate with God to the extent that if there were ten righteous men found in Sodom and Gomorrah, that God would spare the cities and not destroy them. And Abraham's plea was, Surely you will not sweep away the righteous with the wicked. Oh, Father, if one man can plead for the righteous of two cities, then there are enough Christians to plead for the righteous of a nation. The problem being finding enough Christians who will take the stand, face the heat, and make the plea. And while I'm on that point, let me share one of my favorite Proverbs. Proverbs 29, verse 1. One who is often reproved, yet remains stubborn, will suddenly be broken beyond healing. Now such an example is found in Exodus, chapter 14, verses 24 through 28. At the morning watch. Notice that. At the morning watch, the Lord, in a pillar of fire and cloud, looked down upon the Egyptian army and threw the Egyptian army into panic. He clogged their chariot wheels so that they turned with difficulty. The Egyptians said, Let us flee from the Israelites, for the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, so that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and chariot drivers. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at dawn, the sea returned to its normal depth. As the Egyptians fled before it, the Lord tossed the Egyptians into the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariot and the chariot drivers. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. Proverbs 29, one One who is often reproved, yet remains stubborn will suddenly be broken beyond healing. So it was with Pharaoh. So it was with Saul, the first king of Israel. But even Saul, as disobedient as he was, took advantage of the fourth watch. In 1 Samuel 11, verse 11, it says, The next day Saul put the army in three companies. At the morning watch they came into the camp, and cut down the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And those who survived were scattered, so that no two of them were left together. Now notice, the next day, Saul put the people in three companies. That was done during the night watches. It was completed during the fourth watch. In the morning watch, they came into camp and cut the Ammonites down. Notice the watches. You know what I see? Let me tell you what I see. I see things in the Old Testament at times, and when I look into the New Testament I find something similar, but in reverse order. Such is the case as what happened the fourth watch. Egypt was cast into the sea. Let's look in Matthew fourteen twenty five. And in the fourth watch of the night he came to them walking on the sea. I find a great deal of encouragement in that verse. What greater comfort would occupants of a boat being tossed about in a storm receive than to look up and see their Savior walking to them on water? You see, even in the face of doom and gloom, the light shines through. People in America should learn how to remember that. But the fourth watch is a time to pray for deliverance from the evil that is rampant during the night watch. It is time to pray for protection and destruction of satanic activities occurring throughout the night. Certainly, there are biblical precedents and modern examples of the evil forces plotting and working throughout the night and into the dawn. And equally, there are modern examples of protection, destruction of enemy attempts, and deliverance during these early morning hours just before dawn. Here's something I want you to think about. First there was darkness, and then came the light. When we are in our darkest hours, we tremble, for we cannot see what the darkness conceals. When you find the light, step into that light and stand still. That which creeps about in the darkness cannot withstand the light for long periods of time. But you have to stand firm in the light, although you be surrounded by darkness. This is the concept of this watch, in that you stand firm until the dawn and beyond. Does that go to say that nothing can or will harm you or that you will not be affected? No. The devil attacked Job and decimated his family, his wealth, and possessions. But Job stood firm in the light, even through the darkest hours. Job was tested to the limits. He would not curse God, but Job cursed the date of his birth. And on that day, Job chapter 3 verse 9 says, Let the stars of its twilight, that's the early evening, be darkened. Let it wait for light, but have none. And let it not see the breaking dawn. Job is saying that the day of his birth should be blotted out in darkness as if it never happened. That's some serious sorrow. And it's no wonder, because Job's past was glorious. Job, verse 29, verses 2 and 3. Oh, that I were as in months gone by, as in the days when God watched over me. When his lamp shone over my head, and by his light, I walked through the darkness. Mm. This watch. This block of time in the Bible. Is filled with conflict as the hosts of the Lord wage war against rulers, principality, worldly darkness, and spiritual wickedness. And just think, most go through their day, quite honestly, most of their life, and never have a clue as to what's going on. Now, I'm not one to say there's a devil in every bush and there's a demon under every rock. But you know what? In this day and time, it's almost so. The evil and wickedness do not even attempt to hide in the darkness anymore, exposing themselves in the light of day boldly and proudly, boasting, here I am, you don't have to come to me, I'll bring it to you. The evil in this day and time does not even attempt to hide itself in darkness. Now let's talk briefly about how Jesus observed this fourth watch. Now we know that he arose early to go out and pray, We know that he was coming back to the disciples walking on water. We know that he saved Peter from drowning when Peter took his eyes off Jesus and cast his eyes upon the storm or the darkness that was around him. What else did Jesus do? Jesus still was in a place of judgment, being judged by the religious leaders of the day. How odd it was that Jesus was being judged by those who would one day come to realization that they themselves were facing the judge. The Jews were under the rule of the Romans and could not put to death anyone without Rome's approval. Jesus waited for what was to come, silently, while the leaders put together their case against him to present him to Pontius Pilate. Do you remember when I spoke about seeing something in the Old Testament and a similar instance occurring in the New Testament but in reverse order? I hope you caught that. Consider that in the Old Testament, God provided the host of the Lord to deliver the nation of Israel many times. However, in the New Testament, God withheld those angelic armies to deliver Jesus. Why? Because Jesus was the Deliverer. He was the Passover Lamb of God. He was the instrument that would shed light on humanity so depraved that they could not keep the law. The law was but a foreshadow of something better to come. Now the law in and of itself is not bad. I've read the law. There's nothing there that's going to be harmful to you, me, or anyone else. It was sin, the desires of the flesh that took the law and killed us with it. That's what Paul said. But these watches of the watchmen, these prayer watches, these blocks of time are not found within the confines of law. These watches and the watchmen were established for the well-being of the people. The fact that God Almighty and our Lord and Savior observed these times, these blocks of times, these watches is, well, remarkable. At least it is remarkable to me. What is it about these times? What is it about these times that are so well documented in Scripture that the Father and the Son would not deviate from them even throughout the crucifixion? I wish I knew the answer to that. The fourth watch concludes the hours of darkness. The day spring is coming, and we will explore that in more detail next week. But I am the old watchman Ezekiel, This concludes the Fourth Watch, and you have been warned. Well, that's all for now. I thank you for your time and participation. Our time together is precious to me. Please... Come and visit me at theoldwatchman.com for show notes, articles, video content, book reviews, Bible study material reviews, and Bible study methods. It's my hope and prayer that you get to know me through this podcast. Through the website at theoldwatchman.com, I can get to know you. If you like the content, consider following The Old Watchman on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. See you next time. May nothing in your life be missing. Nothing in your life be broken. Shalom.